You fucked up. You fucked up big time. You're incapable of running this shit. Sit your five dollar ass down before I make change. Life goes on. Freeze all functions. <laughs> okay, party people in the house. Man become preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasm. You're gonna have to repeat that. Enthusiasm. You be cool. You be cool. Enthusiasm. There's one thing I almost forgot. You have enough. Oh shit! Shit! These violent delights violent ends. Hi, I'm Mike Morgan, and welcome to this week's episode of The Wocast, kindly sponsored by our good friends over there at Violent Money. First of all, I just wanted to thank everyone who downloaded, shared, and gave constructive feedback on the first episode of the new series of The Wocast. I'm not sure if it's the promise of regularity, now that we're actually coming to you once a week, our sponsors, or even our guests, but we have, in one fell swoop, tripled our listenership. So thank you to everyone who is now on board our weekly look at MMA news, views and interviews. Speaking of which, we have an incredible weekend to look forward to with the UFC pitching up its tent in Stockholm for a card that's headlined by Alexander Gustafsson versus Anthony Smith, both of whom looking for redemption after coming off losses to John Jones. Both will be looking to get back into the title hunt. Later in this episode, I speak to two of that card's one to watch from these shores, namely Stevie Ray and the KO specialist himself, Jimmy the Poster Boy Manua. Speaking of KO specialists, my other mixed martial arts guests known for their KO power, Paul Semtex Daly and Mike Sebas Shipman, join me as do the equally powerful linguist G from State Farm and UK MMA journalist Andreas Hench to his mates, Georgie. First up, here's Paul Semtex Daly. Paul, welcome to the Worldcast. Thank you for the invite, man. Always welcome. The door is always open to you. I mean, speaking of which, the door being always open, you, from your Facebook, are basically, it looks like, you're training 24-7. I mean, what's actually um, lit the fire underneath you that you seem to be going ham for this camp? (laughs) It's not even that. Do you know what it is? Uh... This is what this is what I've always done. I don't know what people thought I used to do. Like when it's just mad to me. I don't understand what people think I do. This is my full time job, and I don't know what they thought I did in between. No, I don't do anything in between. All I do is train. I've always lived this life. Like I was trying to explain to the American media that the, you know, obviously I know it's the entertainment industry, and they've always been trying to portray me, portray me in some kind of way, but. Ever since a kid, all I've wanted to be is a ninja. So people get it twisted that I'm not this martial artist. And that is all I do. If if you was with me 24-7, you'd see all I do is watch fights, study martial arts, train martial arts or teach martial arts. And it just so happens that, you know, I'm working with a good photographer now and like a personal photographer gets to come around with me and uh, just capture capture the moments, capture the moments where where I'm in the gym and I'm going at it. Yeah, it's what I've always done. And they do seem to be some intense moments because that would explain the intensity at which you're actually posting them. Because I have to say, hats off to your photography. There's some real iconic photography that you're actually putting up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've worked with him in the past before and I just thought, you know, it was time to maybe just give a little... 
visual insight you know i've never you know i've always been on the facebook and i've always i've always said my piece on facebook very vocal when i needed to be on facebook but instagram i I thought if i'm gonna have this social media platform then i have to do it properly and i can't just be putting up too many photos just shot on the iphone so i needed to get myself a photographer get myself connected and have him have him shoot when i can I mean, just on um, the photography. I mean, do do you mind dropping names? Is it Joshua Helvetis? Is it him again? No, no, that that's Josh. Is the old guy that we used to work with. We used to put out the uh, the video footage. But this is a new guy, a guy called Mirek, that I'm working with. A, a very uh, talented photographer um, from Poland that works with a lot of the local uh, boxing boxing shows now. And uh, you know, I've worked with him in the past before, but now we're starting uh, something a little bit different ah right you know i have to say you know let, let's address the elephant in the room when i saw the intensity when i saw the pace at which the training videos and the training uh, photos were going up i thought maybe you were out to kind of exercise the demons from your last fight so that had nothing to do with it i mean just on that i'm intrigued how do you kind of um process that loss i remember just a while ago you were saying that you watch a lot of tape yeah have you actually watched that fight back for a start i've, I've watched it yeah i've watched it once i think maybe maybe twice um you know not a lot of processing goes on you know with those kind of yeah i just had to move forward you know i'm, I'm not i'm not going to dwell on it i'm not going to continue to keep saying that i think i won the fight and or whatever it's just whatever's done it's done and it seems like karma played out as it was supposed to and and douglas did what i did but just made it more clearer for, for everybody to see but it is what it is I, I haven't had to process anything i just got straight back to what i've always done but back in the gym and look forward to the next opportunity i mean just one final word there on michael venom page I take it that you watched the fight live or you also um, watched the fight in its entirety. What was your whole I didn't, take? I didn't watch it live. I didn't watch it live. I, I've got a friend who works for, for America Media over there and he, he was live and he just sent me the result when it happened that and I, I happened to get it in the morning. I, I was asleep. I wasn't too interested because I, I was pretty confident in the outcome of the fight. And when you just mentioned there about karma playing out, I mean, just to un- unpack that for me ever so slightly. Well, like I said, I don't want to dwell on on the, on the fight that I had with Michael Page, but obviously from my, from my social media posts, I feel like I won the fight. Um, and he rejoiced in, in the victory that he got, but obviously the universe, Carmel, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, didn't see it that way. And he, he you know, he, he got what he would deserved, basically. And not just him, but the people behind the scenes, people at Bellator, um it would champion him and put so much in him that obviously had a part to play in that decision. Um, all the politics, but, you know, it all played out as it was supposed to, so I'm, I'm good. Speaking of being good, you're obviously back on track and looking for a KO against Eric Silva on the 22nd yeah. of July. I mean, I, I take it from what you've said, you've been examining Eric Silva. Now, given that he likes to stand, given that he does, you know, to a certain extent, pose a threat. I take it that obviously, you know, um, it's a well-worn phrase, but you're not taking him lightly, right? No, I don't take any opponent lightly. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in the game long enough to know that. He's a dangerous guy. He's a Brazilian. He, you know, they all know how to fight. They all come to fight. And, uh, you know, the sport's massive over there, so they take it seriously. 
and uh, I've just got to prepare like I always do, come out and uh, try and uh, try and put an end to the fight as quickly as possible. Now, I, I take it, obviously, that's going to be ending in a uh, ferocious knockout. You're, I, I take it you've actually discarded the game plan of, you know, trying to take opponents to the ground, and that was specific, obviously, to your last fight. This fight will see you standing and banging, right? Yeah, I'm going out there to, to stay on my feet and to put the fight away on my feet. But, you know, um, I take what's there. I just take what's there. Whatever whatever presents itself to me, the, the easiest form to victory is what I'm going to do. But, yeah, I'm looking for KO number 33. Sure, dog's got it wrong. And they've, they've got me down a few KOs, but they've got them down as submissions. But those submissions were, were, were strikes. So we, we count those as KOs. So, um, yeah, man, we're looking for KO number 33. And... Uh, yeah, we're looking forward to delivering June 22nd. And just picking up on what you just said there about delivering, I take it, you being the tactician that I know you are, you've obviously got your game plan worked out in terms of your route towards the belt. I take it you're still chasing as an avid belt collector. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think a, 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 a convincing victory Will, will put me in position to challenge for the title. It's not me, then it has to be Koreshkov because there really is nobody else in the pitch, you know. Um, I think Lima will win the tournament. Obviously, Paige is not in a position to, to uh, call for a rematch. Rory would have just lost the belt. Um, so he, he's probably, and from his, the way he's going, he's probably not going to be looking to, to fight for much longer. Uh, and Nyman Gracie probably going to look for a bit more experience. I think he'll lose to Rory, and then there's just me. There's me with, with the credibility who, who's been in there with Douglas Lima for the three rounds, and uh, you know it would be quite easy to put that fight together. But saying that, me and my team have spoke about that. We, there's a good possibility Lima may go to the UFC after this. You know, collect a cool, cool one million US dollars. You know, he's a top top competition. He's done his bit in Bellator. He'll be the champ. There might be. A chance that he might leave the organisation, so that belt might be up for grabs again. But who knows? We'll see what happens. And final question: I remember we've spoken about this often in terms of your career path, your career progression, and actually bowing yeah. out of the sport. You're getting yeah. around that age now, where yeah. really and truly that is starting to materialise. Are you doubling yeah. back on that, or are you definitely on track, on course for that to play out? No, no, I'm on track. I like that Bellator gave me this fight um, straight away. You know, it, it helps with with uh, my my plans. Um, but I've got to focus on June 22nd, get the job done there. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward uh, to to uh, a title shot. I think that will be what's next. Um, not interested in a Michael Page rematch. None of that um, doesn't really appeal to me. But but a title does so we'll see what happens June 22nd first get the job done and then we'll go from there incredible well that about wraps up our little segment with the KO specialist but we will definitely be there on June 22nd and um, I've got a feeling that we'll be in the winner's circle speaking to you about that title shot most definitely violent knockout is on its way violent knockout equals violent money Yes, sir. Nathan Grayson, shout out to my boy there. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Paul. I really do appreciate the time. Right. 
Nice one, Mike. All right, take care. Making your welcome return back to the Wocast. She says what she means and means what she says. It's G from State Farm. Ooh, I like that, Michael. Hello. I really dig that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just reading what it says on the packet because that is you in a nutshell. I take it we should get down to the order of business straight away. I think that you've got a a particular issue, a particular topic that you want to break down and give your perspective on this week. As I always do. Something is always triggering me, Michael. You should know that, man. Every time I turn on this Twitter, I get upset. So... What I saw last week that drove me through the roof was Paulie. Can you tell me his last name again? You know I'm gonna mess it up. Paulie Malinaji. There you go, Michael. Make sure you get used to that because I, I messed up last names like it's nothing. So, <laughs> so Paulie. Same here. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, same here. I mess up uh, last names like it's nothing. But Paulie Malinaji um, okay. is the guy in question. Yes, he is. I turned on my Twitter and I was trying to avoid him so much, but everybody kept retweeting this conference um, that he had with um, Artem Lobo about their upcoming bare knuckle fight. I don't really care for it. I've, I've been trying to ignore it, but Paulie's finally got me sucked in. Why? Because he's spitting on his opponent at a, at a conference. I just, I just think it's disgusting. That, um, more importantly, that suit he wore drove me crazy. Since when are we wearing zoot suits in 2019 for a boxing press conference? Like, give, how pressed is he to sell a fight? And like, what is too much? What is going too far is my concern. You understand? I hear like, you. I, I hear you. But can I just jump in and play devil's advocate just for a second? When you look at what we're um, experiencing here, it's essentially prize fighting right so my take on it is this one just like yourself i don't care for it um in particular for this event i have basically just kept one eye open on it i didn't even watch the press conference i didn't even watch the gift the only thing i saw was um malinaji bonking um uh artem lobos <laughs> on the head with yeah. a microphone and that that was enough for me that did it for me i didn't see him spit i didn't see any other altercation i just can't stand the concept of bare knuckle boxing but that being said like i said i want to play, play devil's advocate just for a second is oh. it not prize fighting are we both um putting these guys down considering that what they are effectively doing are providing for their families and if the UFC won't pay them the vast sums which um, something like bare knuckle boxing will definitely be doing, who are we to criticize? Now, I think that's a great question, but hear me out. I'm not criticizing the fact that these two grown ass men want to fight bare knuckle in an organization. Mm. My, and then I want them to get paid because like you said, a lot of these promotions and unfortunately the UFC doesn't really seem to be paying these guys a whole lot of money and they deserve it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to knock anybody that goes out there and wants to put on a show for me and you and everybody out there. My issue is, is there a line drawn for trying to sell fights? And also, too, we're losing the authenticity of promoting fights as well. Like, this doesn't even seem real. I get that Paulie's upset that Connor like, put him on blast and put that, um, that sparring video out when he was about to fight Floyd. I get it. He has a reason to be upset. 
but he's acting like an asshole right now and it's taking away from the actual fight and other things and other things going on in mma it's distracting he tries to bop the guy he spits on the guy he even mentioned peeing in his mouth or something and his tooth was not it's too much it's too much but don't you think, don't you think, don't you see what's happening here? This is a strategic and tactical move on Pauli Malinaji's point of view, or from Pauli Malinaji's point of view. He effectively wants to bait and um, switch. He wants Connor to get involved. That is his ultimate goal. And how he has done this and how he's lined this up is akin to what happened with um, Khabib Namagamadov. When you think about it, the whole thing kicked off because Artem was being effectively bullied by um, Khabib Namagamadov. And this is what's right. actually happening here. He is effectively, Pauli Malinaji that is, he's effectively bullying Artem Lobov. I think that's who is in his sights. It's really Connor. It's about trying to get back to Connor than to get to Artem. Artem is basically the bait. Artem is basically right. the trap. And I right. think people need to realize that there is something bigger afoot here. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. But I think what Paulie seems to forget is that he better put on a show. It's not just about shit talking. He better go out there and beat the crap out of this guy if he wants that fight with Connor. Don't go in there and break your hand, his little pillow hands in 20 seconds and then keep crying and complaining. You, For instance, when him, Khabib and Connor fought, Khabib is an excellent fighter. He talked a little bit of smack, but he went out there and he handled his business in the fight. I don't want Paulie talking all this bullshit and all this nastiness, spitting on people and putting on a show. And then the next thing you know, the fight is just terrible because his hand breaks or he's not that good. And let's not forget, he's a retired boxer. Mm. He's retired. Mm. And Artem it has really short arms. He doesn't really seem to win a lot of fights. His record <laughs> speaks for himself. We call him the GOAT because he's far from it. And you're putting these two guys together. They better put on a show because this promotion route that they're taking, it's, it's distasteful and it's distracting us from what's really happening, which is Tony Ferguson and Cowboy Simone are going to be fighting pretty soon. And that's what we should be talking about. Not these not these two these two people going at it and spitting on the stage and acting crazy wearing zoo suits. Come on. Give me a break. You know what I mean? But that's just it. When you look at the crowded space of combat sport, whether it be boxing, whether it be MMA, whether it be um, bare knuckle boxing, what seems to get the shine, what seems to get the light is the most outrageous acts which are taking place either on stage, on screen or live in person. When you think about it, it's because of the play that they've made in terms of um, the strategic matchup which we're looking at here, but also the gothic monstrosity which is unfolding before our eyes and that is you know people spitting on each other people bonking oh. each other on heads with microphone and the rhetoric as well it has all the ingredients i have to say for a compelling storyline as well given what's actually transpired before that's why it's getting the attention Oh yeah, and it's definitely even suck me in. Look what we're talking about. Yeah. I try to ignore. I try to ignore Twitter. I'm retweeting stories about this stuff. I even found, you know, um, um, the glove that they might use because now suddenly they have to wear some type of glove. And I swear to God, it looked like some type of condom they're gonna wear to fight each other. Is the most ridiculous-looking bare knuckle glove they could come up with. And I'm sitting here retweeting it, and I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm getting sucked into this too. But meanwhile, like. 
two of the best fighters in UFC are about to go at it. And I'm sitting here talking about a retired fighter that got beat up in a sparring video and he's upset. Come on, come on, what am I doing? I had to reel myself in, go online and, and watch old videos of Tony and Cowboy just to get pumped up again because we're too busy talking about this, you know? Again, with <laughs> just one eye open on the whole uh, spectacle that is bare knuckle boxing. It was proven, or it, um, it was, I think, it was the CEO of bare knuckle boxing uh, came out the other day to say that that whole rumor, that whole fake news around the glove was just that. It was fake news. Yes, their wrists are going to be wrapped, but they will be fighting bare knuckle. Well, thank God, because it just <laughs> it takes away from <laughs> from bare knuckle fighting and. And not for nothing, the, the organization itself, it needs a little work. You know what I mean? I understand it's a new organization and I respect all combat fighters in any way, shape, or form. But the, from the skill set, from the people that they're picking to fight, it's like they're recruiting from like Denny's or some shit. Like, it just was a little <laughs> rough around the edges, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But you're right. It, it's definitely detracting from what we should be speaking about. And that is this coming weekend, we've got, I think, quite a decent card on these, um, well, on this side of the pond, UFC Stockholm, which is going to be headlined by Anthony Smith versus, um, or Ant it's going to be headlined by Alexander Gustafsson versus Anthony Smith. Now, for me, there are, for the, well, from a UK perspective, there's just one guy who I'm going to be keeping my eye particularly uh, open on, and that is Jimmy Manua, who takes on Alexander Rekich. Now, for me, this is a very important matchup for Jimmy Manua, given the skid he's on. He's on a three-fight losing streak, but they've kept him in the UFC for good reason. Look, we've seen Elias Theodorou be cut because of his um, his penchant, as it were, for um, dragging out a fight to a decision, to a boring decision. Jimmy is far from a boring fighter. He is a KO specialist and he's a finisher. So that's why they've kept him beyond the three fight loss that he's on at the moment. But he definitely has to come good. He definitely has to win this. And I think it's perfectly within his means um, to actually do that. I mean, really and truly, um, I per personally don't see that Alexander Rekic is on his level, given that he's not even a ranked fighter, given that um, Jimmy Manuel is a top 10 ranked fighter. But more importantly, it's just his skill set. It's just that his experience and I think his um, battle-tested um, portfolio makes me feel, you know what, this is going to be Jimmy all day. So that in particular, I have got my eyes widely uh, fixed on that particular matchup. How about yourself? Is there a particular fight on Saturday that you're going to be um, obviously um, looking out for? Oh yeah, definitely the main event. I'm definitely going to zone in on that one because um, let's face it, both these guys are coming off losses from who? John Jones. And uh, John Jones made both of them look like shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? Just, it's just facts. Like, he toyed with Anthony Smith so much that I got bored. Like, I was like, man, this fight kind of sucks. Way to go, John, but I'm bored. And then Alexander Gustafsson, I just wanted to cry. Like, he just pummeled the man. He just he obliterated the dude. Alexander had absolutely no offense. This leads me to believe that both men are going to come out the gate ready to make amends for their, you know, for their last performances. So I just wonder who's going to prevail. And... I'm going to go with Alexander Gustafson if he's still the same guy we saw before Jones kind of waxed his ass. 
if he's still, you know, fancy with all that footwork and his hands are quick, I think he's going to get in there and get the job done. And he has the experience. I'm just a little bit worried about where he is psychologically because when he loses, he loses pretty bad. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like he's crying in the locker room. He seems pretty upset. He doesn't come back for a while. And Anthony Smith kind of took his loss on the chin. I was like, yeah, right, I'll be back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whatever. So I just wonder, like, where they are psychologically. And then Anthony Smith is just ready to bang. He's already ready to fight Luke Rockhold after this. He's already moving right along. And I haven't really been hearing too much about Gus. You know? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, if I were to pick him, and I know you haven't asked me my pick, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to go with Anthony Smith. He is hungry. Not only that, he has basically got a, a, a streak in him, which is a rare thing to see these days in that you're right psychologically you do need to be at the dance in order to compete in order to pick yourself up and actually move on to the next opponent and he seems to be of that mindset whereas for me I worry about Gus because having seen him in the past and especially losing on home soil in such an emphatic manner to Anthony Johnson it took him a long while to actually come back from that and that just makes me think I hope that he has actually worked with a um, a psychology coach but I do see that as being a flaw or a weakness with Alexander Gustafsson in that I do feel to a certain extent that um, he does need to be built up psychologically and it does take him a while to actually get back into that killer mind frame whereas with Anthony Smith not so much Oh yeah, Anthony Smith bounced back immediately. He almost was just like, ah, I'll try again another time. Yeah. I thought I did great. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that says a lot, you know, that's going to say a lot about his performance and what he brings to the table. And meanwhile, I totally agree with you, by the way, with your pick with Alexander and the psychological setbacks. I just kind of noticed he goes kind of, you know, in the back of the locker room. I've even seen footage of him crying with his girlfriend, and I'm not really trying to put him down for that or anything like that. Plenty of fighters do that. But I did also notice it takes him a while to kind of come back. Like he doesn't fight for eight months to 10 months. He's not that, you know, I'm coming right back out to make this better again. Mm, mm. So I so I wonder who's who's going to step up, which Anthony's excuse me, which um, Gustafsson is going to step up this time, you know. And that I suppose is going to be the intriguing question, which is going to be answered, you know, when you think about it, you're ninety nine point nine percent in the winning zone once you've got your psychological um, issue um, dealt with. Now. Albeit that when you think relatively speaking, this was a a relatively quick turnaround given that, you know, we've seen him do the whole John Jones um, uh, match up already. So it just worries me that maybe he might have come back too quickly. Yeah, I mean, his last performance kind of put me on my ass because I honestly thought he gave John a brilliant performance the first time they fought. And I was kind of expecting that again. And that is not what happened at all. Yeah. You know, like he he had absolutely no offense. And I was shocked. He had no offense. Even when he gets knocked out violently, he's still going for it. He's still coming forward. He's yeah. still with John Jones. It's like he froze with all that distance. And he just it was it was just a um, a strange performance for me. So it made me kind of side eye glance him a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that but I haven't forgotten that he is one hell of a fighter. His hands are so quick. He destroyed Glo- um, Glover in that fight. It looked like a video game. Those uppercuts were vicious. Oh, it was 
magic. And it was just so quick, precise. And it literally looked like a video game combination. I'm going to be in like, I would do that in tech and assumption. This is mad. Is this guy real? Like, unbelievable. <laughs> G, it's been a pleasure as always. Catch you yeah. definitely next week. Join me next on the WOCast. He has Leonardo Santos on Saturday. It's Stevie Ray. Welcome to the WOCast, Stevie. Thanks, man. Thank you. Now, just just, uh, for a little bit of background, you've been out of action for quite a while. What's been happening whilst you've been on the sidelines? Uh, Yeah, I last fought in October, so um, I think that's been around maybe... Seven, eight months by the time I get um, back in next week. Um, pretty much, I was meant to fight on UFC London, um, but I had, I had a little trip planned to go to the Performance Centre um, for the start of my camp as well, um, just to go out do all the testing and stuff like that. And the day before I went, I, I injured my knee um, wrestling. And... Um, yeah, like, I was still able to get a lot of good stuff done out there when I was at the PI, but uh, something just, you know, it just wasn't right. Um, it was still hurting, it was, swe- it was swelling up. So I got an MRI and stuff while I was out there and um, figured that it came back that I had a radial tear in my lateral meniscus. So nothing too serious, just cartilage. Um, I pretty much... Uh, done the rest of the the week and the and the PI. Uh, like I said, still got a lot of good testing done and, and different stuff. And um, and then yeah, pretty much came home, got the surgery straight away privately. Um, and yeah, then I've been pretty much you know I was straight into rehab. Uh, it's not the first time that I've had this procedure done, so um, I was. You know, I'm pretty clued up uh, in terms of what I had to do, but obviously being at the PI right before that, I got a program, um, and I've been working with, you know, um, the physios there and Kyle Larimer, the strength conditioning coach. I've been pretty much working with him every week, um, just through a through like an app. Um, it's quite a quite a cool app. He pretty much puts up my program there's little videos if I don't ever understand the exercises and uh, and then I fill it out I fill out how many reps I did what, um, and then he basically programs my the rest of my kind of um, strength conditioning for the other weeks you know maybe more reps less so yeah it's really good I've been doing that um, and then obviously once my knee was a bit better back into training pretty much um, since the end of March, I've been back training um, like fully again, um, and yeah, now I feel in tremendous shape, ready to go next week. Which is incredible. We're looking forward to seeing you back in action. One person that was looking forward to seeing you in action was your previously lined-up opponent, Mark Diakese. He took umbrage at the fact that you pulled out of a fight where. You and he seem to have some simmering beef. Now, just a two-part question. First off, where does this beef stem from? You know me, no stranger to loving a little bit of controversy, but what actually um, was the catalyst for you two falling out? 
Um, to be honest, I think it was. Um, I think it maybe started something to do with you know people saying that I'm the number one lightweight in the UK, um, and then obviously he's, you know, he said no, he believes he is. And pretty sure it was something something along those lines. Um, and then you know there was a little bit of beef back and forth on Twitter. Um, but yeah, so that that's pretty much that. I mean, if I if I get past Leonardo, uh, Leonardo Santos on Saturday night, I'm looking for bigger fish than him to fry. Uh, you know, it, it, give it to him though. He just got a good win over Joe Duffy. Um, it's a really good win for him. Um, so you you never know that fight. Uh, it is a fight that people want to see. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, you never know. But if I get past Leonardo, uh, Leonardo Santos on Saturday night, I'm, I'm one top 15 guys after this. I believe I believe he should be in the top 15, this guy. Um, he's got wins over Kevin Lee, who's uh, recently fought for the interim title. Um, and... Yeah, he's, he's he's beat a lot of good guys. He's just been he's not fought in I think nearly three years. I think this is why he's maybe not ranked or um, got as much hype about him. But um, yeah, I've got a tough test Saturday night, so all my focus is pretty much on him. I'm feeling good. I feel like I've got uh, the the tools to get the win, and we'll see what happens on on Saturday, I suppose. I mean, as you rightly say, look, your attention now is on Leonardo Santos. And um, one of the things which obviously you two have in common is a long layoff. Him slightly longer than yourself. Do you subscribe to Oxygen, or Oxygen, Ox, let's try again, Octagon Jitters? Is that something that plays on your mind or not at all? Uh, No, I don't even feel it's that long. You know, yeah, I'd like to be more active, but I wouldn't say I've been out of the game that long. You know, it was October. Yeah, it is a little while. Um, but to be honest, most guys in the UFC, they're only fighting three times a year anyway. So, um, yeah, maybe, like, even if I didn't get injured, my first fight maybe would have been uh, the London card end of March, which was only, what, a couple of months ago, so... It just pretty much gave me a little bit of extra time to, you know, feel, get fully ready. Um, I feel like I've really been able to focus on getting healthy as well. Like, my, my legs feel a lot stronger, you know, my knees feel better from doing the rehab program. Um, and working with Kyle, like, in the past, I've just kind of done my own strength conditioning. Um, and to be honest, I've probably just been driving my... You know, running my body into the ground before, just trying to kill myself every strength conditioning. Whereas this time, you know, it's been tailored by one of the best in the world, um, the guys at the PI. You know, working explosive, uh, kind of plyometric stuff, and pretty much making sure that I'm not overtraining and I'm doing the the right kind of training for what we do. Um, so yeah, I, I, I feel. I feel brilliant. Um, the first time I've like really followed a strength conditioning program tailored by someone else, um, and yeah. With um, you 
Paul Craig and uh, Joanne Calderwood waving the banner, waving the flag, as it were, for Scottish MMA. I take it that a win over Santos will get you on the um, kind of like mindset of bringing back the UFC to Scotland. How important is it to you to get back to Scotland and represent for your nation? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's that important, um, like, to make sure they come back to Scotland. Um, It would be nice. Um, uh, Yeah, like, I I don't see why they wouldn't, Um, especially, you know, where, you know, win, win, lose, or draw uh, Saturday night. Um, It makes sense for them to come back to Scotland. Um, You've got... You've got myself. Um, you know, I won my last fight, so I, I, I won that. Joanne's won her last fight. Um, Paul Craig, he's won his last fight. Um, you know, so there's a little bit of hype, maybe. Um, Danny Henry, obviously, as well. You know, he, he lost his lucky. last yeah. fight against Dan Ige, but um, you know, still, a, still obviously a big prospect there as well. And then there's even a couple of other maybe up and coming guys. You know that could maybe uh, get the shout for getting on the card, the undercard or whatever. So, and, and it's sold out both times pretty fast um, that they've came. The crowd was amazing. Um, it was even voted, I think, in Ariel Polwani's like, best crowd of the year or something. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, um, obviously get the win Saturday night, it makes more sense, even better. Uh, Give me a top 15 guy, uh, you know, maybe get, get high up in the card, you never know, maybe me and Jojo try and main event it or co-main event um, with, with a big name. Um, and that, that's what I want, I mean, I, I've already co- like, um, I co-main evented um, UFC Belfast against Ross Pearson, so... Um, yeah, it'd be cool to get back up on the main card and just let everybody kind of know. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm here to stay and I'm here to be a contender. I'm not just here, you know, getting a paycheck and getting some tough fights and winning or losing. I, I want to go in there and get back to the way I used to fight as well. And obviously, you know, it's tougher opponents in the UFC and stuff, but I want to get back to finishing guys, um, making a making a statement. I mean, whether I whether I finish Santos or get a decision win, I want the fans to know that you know I'm an exciting fighter. Uh, I want to put on a good fight for the crowd and just obviously a bit more recognition after this fight. Incredible. Well, we're looking forward to what will be hopefully a, an exciting clash and hopefully a big win for you, an emphatic win. And uh, all that really remains for me to say is um, good luck on Saturday. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time. Well, thanks uh, for yours. It's going to be a good night. Currently making waves in Bellator in the middleweight division is my next guest, Mike Seabass. Shipman. Mike, welcome to the Worldcast. Hello, how are you doing? I'm real good. Not as good as yourself. I mean, you've been on quite a tear of late. Considering that you're, what, 11-1, and one, you are in, unbeaten in, uh, in your last 11 fights. Now, that must feel pretty good. 
Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's actually 13 and 1. Um, yeah, oh, it's, oh uh, right. Yeah, it's Van Steenis is 11 and 1. That's my next opponent. Oh, um, but, right. But yeah, I've been on a 13 fight finishing streak, um, which I think is the, the longest active finishing streak in MMA. So it's, it's going, going good at the moment. Incredible, incredible. Well, I mean, tucking straight in, um, basically, I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm not like trying to draw a pun here, but where does the name Seabass come from? That is kind of intriguing me already. Oh, the name Seabass, it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's a Dumb and Dumber reference that, uh, that, got, stuck, that got stuck on me in the, uh, in the gym. Um, so you've got, to watch, you've got to watch the film, the original Dumb and Dumber, and then, uh, then you'll know. <laughs> okay, well, you know, what I've heard, I mean, you may want to elaborate on this. Your MMA journey has been quite a tumultuous one. Um, from what I've been told, you spent a lot of time basically camped out in, in a caravan outside of the gym. I mean, how, how true is that story? Is that like some kind of urban legend or is there some actual truth to that? I know that's true. I, I, I wouldn't call it. Uh, I wouldn't call it tumultuous. Um, exactly. It's uh, like people like to make uh, like to make a bit more of it than it is for me. Um, but yeah, I was living in uh, in a van outside the the gym for a good couple years. Um, but yeah, that was just basically so I could just just focus on training. I, before that, I was I was working the doors at night and having to pay rent and and train at the same time, and it was messing up my sleep pattern. It was a bit of a bit of a uh, you know, it's a bit of a slog. Um, and then I realized if, if I wasn't paying rent, I'd be pretty rich. <laughs> so uh, I, I, would, I, wouldn't need to, I wouldn't need to do all this extra work. So I just uh, bought a van. We had space in the, in the car park of the gym. Obviously, I got showers in the gym. And, and downstairs, there was a, a place I could plug in my, my, portable, um, my portable grill and my, my hob. <laughs> so I had somewhere to cook, somewhere to wash. Uh, could use the gym toilet and everything. So I had everything, all my basic necessities covered. And uh, then all I had to had to focus on was just training, and my only outgoings were fuel and um, fuel and food. So it was just a, a real kind of way to simplify my life and just focus on the on the stuff that was uh, was important to me at the time, which was uh, you know which is just, was just fighting. So you know, looking at that whole lifestyle, do you think looking back on that? Because I take it you're no longer um habiting well you're no longer living out of a van but do you think that's what actually kept you hungry because you're right that is one hell of a winning streak that you've been on uh yeah to be honest it's um i'd say that the 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 living with in the van was more of a symptom of my hunger rather than 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 a cause of it um uh, I was uh i was doing it because that's all i wanted to do and i I, it didn't feel like a, a sacrifice it it just felt like this is a way I can just do more of the stuff I like to do with less of the stuff I don't like to do, i.e. kind of like working, making rent and, and, and do all this stuff. But I just got to do the stuff I liked. Um, and to be honest, I'd still be doing it now. Um, but I, uh, uh, me and my girlfriend have had a, had a kid now and she wasn't, um, she wasn't up to the idea of, uh, of raising, raising our kid <laughs> in the van. So uh, I had to make some compromises. Um, but, but, you know, house life is good too, but it's... Uh, there's more, you know, there's more complications with it, you know, I've got to, uh, there's, there's more stuff to go wrong. When you're in a van, you, there's very little to, to, to get worried about. So up next for you is Costello Van Steenis. Now, just before we get to him, you had a pretty spectacular knockout when you appeared 
on Bama. Now, that was uh, mm. one of the last few shows that Bama actually put on, but it stuck in my mind because it was a last-minute finish and it was a spectacular finish. And a lot of people, I have to say, uh, hands up, including myself, had actually counted you out in that fight. They actually had, well, I actually had um, Yannick Bahati actually going in there and steamrolling you. Now, with that knockout, um, just just recall, or, or can you recall for me, the feeling of, uh, of elation um, that obviously washed over you when you actually got that knockout. Was it a little bit of a shock, is what I'm saying? Uh, no, I've been drilling that, punt, that, that that technique for a long time, specifically for that fight. Um, so I, 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 won, I won the first round. I'd say 10-9 the first round. The second round, there wasn't as much action as I would have wanted because basically I was looking for that knockout that entire second round. I kept trying to draw him onto my uh, onto my back fist when what I should have been doing is I should have tried to draw him and then when he wasn't biting, I should have broken off and restarted my attack and, and, and kept the action rolling. Unfortunately, I was a bit too enamoured with that, with that particular knockout and he was being a bit cagier than I anticipated. He was being well-disciplined and, and wasn't chasing recklessly. Um, so I ended up kind of, I just through an inactivity, possibly losing that second round. Um, so I kind of had myself going into that third round, one apiece. But I went in there just knowing that I was going to win that. Worst case scenario, I was going to win that round. I was going to take a decision. So the, the plan was I was going to go out there, put it on him a bit and uh, maybe get a takedown and, and get the decision, whatever. But when I took that switch step, I saw for the first time in the fight, I actually managed to draw him. I actually dragged him. You watch his front foot turns in and follows me. And then it was just automatic from there. He threw it and it landed perfectly. Um, and the thing I was trying to make happen the whole time in the second round just came uh, in the in the third round. Maybe because I looked less kind of like creepy chasing after it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he let his guard down because I, I, I wanted it too much in the second round. But then it came naturally in the third Wow. Well, it was a spectacular knockout. I mean, not to say that the knockout which came subsequently, and that was Carl Booth, wasn't as spectacular. But um, the reason why you probably know where my train of thought is going here, the reason why I mentioned that uh, fight in particular, considering it was many moons ago, is the fact that, you know, you would have seemed to have drawn the wrath of one Fabian Edwards and I'm trying to link the two possibly grasping at straws here but it would seem you knocking out his teammate has actually um, provided some kind of catalyst for him calling for you and calling for you on a consistent basis first of all would you agree with me that that would be the catalyst but secondly why hasn't this fight taken place um, yeah, so firstly, I'd, I'd say that that's probably uh, that's probably right, especially in the in the build up to that fight. I could, you see, you kind of see. I'd, I'd seen some of Yannick's antics in the uh, in, in in previous fights he's had, where he's in face off, he's slapping people and he's pushing them and, and choking them and stuff. And I was I was thinking like my teammate, he put his hand on his neck, and I thought I don't want to stand there like a mug and 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 wait for him to uh, to initiate something and and then you know get a little boost off. Off, off slap me or, or shove me in the neck or something before the fight so I thought if I know that's kind of thing that's going to go down I'll preempt it so I dashed a bit of water on him before so <laughs> just so we knew where we both knew where we're at okay like we're not going to be doing, doing a standoff like you know it, it, we're going to fight I'm not going to give you the opportunity to put hands on me before the fight um, so I think that probably uh, kind of irritated um, irritated his team as well and then 
yeah, combined with the fact that they didn't get their their valid their their vindication from 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 him getting the victory, that 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 probably caused some bad blood. Um, yeah, at the time I didn't know who Fabian Edwards was, um, and then after that fight, this there's there's a, a three and O guy like saying my name a lot and stuff. I was like, okay, and then still didn't really know who he was. I signed to Bellator, and then I'm getting accusations of of running when it's that's a fairly absurd accusation. So when when this kept going, when he kept talking while I was at Bellator. I kind of got it when I was at Bama because, like, that's a fight that could happen. You know, I, I can understand that they, they can sell that. When we were signed to separate promotions, and he was still just talking all this stuff, I, I, was, I was kind of thinking, you know, yeah, it feels a little more personal. So I dropped him a message and, you know, said, you know, if 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 you want to do this, we're in, we're in different promotions, but if you want to do this, we can one of us can visit the other, and we can, you know, if you if you have a personal need to sort this out, we can sort it out. And then he assured me, you know, it's business. But then, you know, carries on, carries on talking. And um, so he does sign to uh, sign to Bellator. And I don't know what he was when he signed. He was 4-0, 5-0 or something. And not really on my trajectory, not someone I'm really looking at, apart from the fact that he speaks so much. So he got another win. When he, when he, beat, um, when he beat Chadwick, who I, who I saw as like the first legitimate name that he beat, and I thought, okay, that, that's, that's grounds for a fight. So I asked Bellator for the fight. Bellator said no they, they don't want it I guess they don't want it yet maybe they're trying to build him up. I, you know they're putting a lot of he's getting quite a big promotional push he like he talks a lot he's he's uh, he's got some good knockouts he's getting a big promotional push so I understand they're trying to build him a bit more but I've, I've asked for this fight he's still making out I'm avoiding it so I, but by this time I, I, I've publicly asked for the fight I've, I've asked Bellator for the fight and I've privately asked him if he wants to sweat out on two occasions and I really feel there's no more I can do. I'm not a big, I'm not a big talker on social media. It's not my style. I don't want to spend my days off and my free time thinking about Fabian Edwards or, or whoever else. I, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to involve too much of my life on uh, on social media. But I, I put it out there. Yes, I'm happy to fight you. I've asked for it several times. That's not what the promotion wants right now. If he keeps winning and they build him up, and I keep going the way I'm going, then I see that happening in the future, though. But I think that's what Bellator is trying to build. They're trying to build uh, a rivalry with two big names as opposed to cashing on an early and, uh, and maybe losing an opportunity for them. Wow. And speaking of opportunities, you've got Costello Vanstinis next. Now, I can't really see um, from your record... You, that you've had an opponent as formidable as Costello Vanstinis. Am I kind of missing something? Because he does look quite, uh, well, he looks quite a challenge. Yeah, no, I have to agree to you. That's, I, I'd say he's the, the biggest challenge of my career so far. Certainly certainly on paper. Um, he, his last fight against, uh, he, he won a fight against Honeycutt, who's a... Uh, a well-regarded middleweight. Yeah. Um, he and and when you watch him in this fight as well, he he's he's always fit. He's big, strong, always fit, always comes to fight, always looking to push the action. Um, well-rounded guy. So I'd say that this is uh, this is a step up. This is the biggest challenge I've faced yet. But I feel like this is the this is the step up I need now. I need to take this challenge, win this in a in a impressive fashion, and then I can start calling for title shots and I can start making those kind of. Uh, making those kind of uh, requests of the, of the company. Now, 
WOTV are going to be cage side on the 22nd, so we will definitely be there to capture, hopefully, your post-fight winning speech. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you again, uh, Mike, for joining us on the WOCast. Yeah, very welcome. Thank you, Mike. Good to speak to you. Here to break down the toings and throwings, the comings and goings in MMA media, particularly UK MMA media, is one of my good friends. And I have to say, uh, a person whose opinion I respect, whose work ethic I admire, Andreas Giorgio. Thanks for having me on the show, Mike. And from the from the outright, I just want to put out there, I didn't approach you. I didn't tag on to that tweet to get myself <laughs> on the show. <laughs> but I'm grateful to be on. I'm glad you asked me, man. Thank you very much. And congrats on the relaunch of the WOCast. You know what? When I put that tweet out there, I was absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of people who were DMing me. You know, I put that gif out about the fisherman trying to catch like one fish and then he gets a deluge. It was just like that. But, you know, I'm pleased um, in a way that I got so much um, feedback and so much attention on it. But it kind of um, made me think probably I should have done that privately because it looked as though one I was begging for guests but no I was really trying to look at those people who I'd never approached before but to be honest with you could not recall so it was a way of actually saying to people you know what I'll basically welcome all comers to actually you know be a guest on the show but you know without further ado it'll be good to break down from your perspective Considering how long you've been in the game and considering you, just like myself, have seen the comings of the MMA Mads, the comings of your MMA, you know, these are people who hopefully you, but definitely myself, respect, but has definitely um, stepped out of the limelight, stepped away from the wayside. And quite recently, um, Chamatkar Sandhu, uh, a mainstay of UK MMA media, has also stepped away. I mean, what's your take, first of all, on the desert wasteland, which we're now looking at in terms of UK MMA media? I think wasteland's an interesting term and an interesting way to put it. It's without a doubt, a changing of the guard. The guys and girls that we rode with, that we kind of, we built the scene together. Obviously there was a lot of people before us as well who who did that, but I'm, I'm talking about our specific group and our specific time period. Those people, the Sandus, the, the Roberto Reeds, the, the Mike Morgans, and the countless other names that I'm, I'm forgetting, so I do apologize. You know, a lot of those media personnel, those content creators have stepped out of the limelight, have stepped out of MMA quote-unquote journalism, I guess you could say. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's because they've been pushed out or forced out. I think it's been a, a personal decision that... A lot of people have had to make at some point or another regarding do you stay in a game which is truly unforgiving and there are very little opportunities to make a career out of it. Like if you were a football journalist or or something or another, there are great opportunities out there to go and work for mainstream publications, uh, mainstream uh, newspapers, that the outlets like Sky Sports. There isn't that in MMA. And I think... You either have to sit it out and hope that something comes along or or work your way towards something potentially parallel to that. 
or you you make the decision to to call it a day or just to step back. And I think really that that's all that's happened is um, the opportunity wasn't there and people had to make a life decision, man. You know how it is. You see, that's the, the travesty of it all. You're right, people have to make a living. But I personally think that maybe coming into MMA media, a lot of people had the misconception that this was a way of actually making um, an honest crust enough to actually give up your day job, enough to actually pay your mortgage and not actually look at it as a, how can I put it, a creative platform on which, yes, if you are clever, if you are smart, if you are resourceful, you can actually make money from. But also, if you are realistic with your own abilities and expectations of what effectively is an unforgiving media. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's all about mentality, Mike, because you either have the mentality to give it everything and know that potentially it's going to be for nothing or very little, or you have the mentality, which is completely wrong, where you, you know, you're coming into this and you're, you're thinking, you know, I want something out of this right now. I can't even recall the amount of times when I was an editor on multiple different MMA websites, and we're not talking blogs, we're talking websites that have tens of thousands of hits per month. The, the amount of people that would approach us as a website, uh, some kid out of university or still, still in university, asking for an opportunity, and then when you give them that opportunity on the platter, they immediately ask, well, how much is it paid or how much do I, how much do I make? You know, it's that kind of mentality which actually really doesn't help what everybody was trying to strive towards because you need that constant influx of new breed, new talent and that stopgap which is there, which is that financial stopgap. Because of that, you know, that's where the difficulty is. Because if you can't develop, you can't develop your brand. I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm, I'm taking this from my experiences the majority of websites in the history of uk mma or european mma are functioning functioning on little to no budget so there is maybe enough budget to go to an event but there certainly isn't enough budget to hire a writer or or pay pay writers like a proper salary you know there may be money here and there you know at mma plus we we did have some kind of financial gratification but I know that that isn't there. So it's all, all about the mentality. And I think what has happened is we've got this changing of the guard. And there are a lot of, a lot of young blood that want to get into the game. And they're, they're realizing very soon that you've got to put in five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of graph. Potentially to then see nothing, see no benefit unless you can try and monetize your own platform like you're doing with Woe TV, Mike. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's what I was going to go on to say. It depends on what level you're actually monetizing your assets and your assets, whether they be audio, whether they be visual, whether they be written word. Um, written word, I have to say, not so much, but there are very clever ways in which you can monetize it. But one of the things I just wanted to get from you, in terms of the people who have come and the people who 
have now gone. Who would you say are the top three that you now miss? And, you know, let's just spend a little bit of time pouring out uh, a 40 to a few of the unsung heroes which have come and now gone. Are you talking professionally or are you talking personally? Because they're two very, very different things. (laughs) Well, when I look at um, the people who I've just described, oh, I forgot to mention um, front row MMA in that. I look at them in both categories, both um, from a point of view as me as a fan, uh, reading their content, consuming their audio or watching their video. I look at it from that point of view, but I also look at it from a professional journalism point of view as well. So my criteria is that broad in that I include front row MMA in there. Always they refer to themselves as professional fans which is fantastic I think there's a place for them I look at people like um, Jay Furness who used to run your MMA now he came across as a very credible um, source not only was he a professional fighter but his ethics in terms of the way that he worked in terms of the way that he actually churned out content was highly professional and you know people like Sandu again he came up from a blog and got to the heady heights of ESPN now I have to say he does fall into both camps in terms of professional and fan he's a professional fan who actually turned his hand to such a degree where he was working for professional outlets from a blog so those are the three notables from where I'm sitting in that broad category. I mean, you, you can expand the category if you want to, but those are my, my three notables. Yeah, I'm going to probably forget so many people as well, just because it's been a while since I've been there as well, mate, um, in the trenches, as as we would call it. But, you know, having such a, a close-knit team at MMA+, Plus, you know, a few years ago, Roberto, uh, Jordan Corum, Roberto Reed. Those are two guys that really helped me break into the industry. They really, you know, they are the utmost professional. And Rob's doing really well in his in his ventures outside of MMA. And Jordan as well, working with the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation. They're doing, you know, he's doing great things there. So although not necessarily directly in the MMA world, anymore they're, they're still around and they're two people who I still talk to a lot still have a lot of admiration for uh, you have to look at the people's like Dale Jordan I mean Jesus Christ if you've ever met a, a harder working man than that I, I'd be sat next to him and this would be at an event and he's covering two or three other events while he's sat there on press room at this show in, in some leisure centre man he had such an incredible work ethic agreed agreed his work yeah. work ethic was incredible phenomenal guy and um, I think to a certain extent that was probably his undoing because he, he, he it looked as though he burnt himself out I, yeah, I don't want to comment on behalf of Dale, but man, he, he did a lot. And yeah. you know, when it comes to a point where you can't maintain that, you can't keep that up, then yeah, potentially it can be an undoing. But no, I mean, going back to what you were saying about MMA Plus as well, that's one of the, the standouts, which you're right, we are going to miss people out. But um, what I would say is, aren't they still a thing? Because I still see content, especially video content, being churned out by MMA Plus, well, the brand name 
MMA Plus. So I, I was surprised that um, it was on your list because the way that I looked at it was that Roberto, who's a very, very, how can I put it? He's a shrewd businessman, has still got his hand in in that respect because the content is still coming through video. It's not coming through thick and fast like it used to, mind. No, um, no. Look, you know, I won't comment on personal conversations I've had with Roberto. Yes, MMA Plus is still around, but it, it's not the same, mate. Come on, look at what we did at MMA Plus, True. you know, at a period of time and compared to it now. It's still there. Rob is, you know, a, a great businessman. And of course, it, it would be within his best interest to keep the brand going like he's doing. But it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily alive and pumping. It's is there and it's doing a job and i'm sure when when the time comes if the time comes and rob wants to to bring that back and, and pump the energy in i know that that man will smash it because that's the kind of the kind of energy that he puts into stuff when when he believes in it and i still have a lot of love for mma plus but it's on my list mate it's it's not around in in the same way that it was when when we were rolling mm, no no you're right you're right so would you say there's a third or even a fourth on your list there's too many names, mate. I can't, I can't actually. I can't think off the top of my head. Like the amount of people that you know, you would go to a show, you would go to Manchester on the Saturday, and then the following Friday you'd go to Birmingham, and then the following week you'd be in London, and it was the same guys over and over again at those events. You know, Jordan, Roberto, yourself, Dale, Front Row MMA, which is of course you know Sean and Steve, and then Clayton at one point as well, uh, Lee and Louise. Um, from uh, MMA Crazy, all these characters, you know, rocking up, working hard every single week without question, without fail. And I think that's what the special thing was, is, you know, there was not much of a reward there. Everybody had, you know, from this circle anyway, managed to monetize their product to an extent. Um, but I'm sure we all wish that we, we were able to do do that more to be able to to really push it much much harder so i don't think it's fair you know especially to just point out three people or four people because you know everybody that that rode even you've got the harry williams as well of, of the world people like that really solid writers um who just yeah for for whatever their personal reason just you know are no longer uh, specifically in the, the mma journalism game man but i think it's pretty obvious and you're someone who can definitely comment on that because you have managed to maintain Woe TV and you, you've adapted with the times, you've changed the style from video to audio to writing and you've adapted as and when the, the industry has adapted and I think that is it, it's adapt or change or adapt or perish and uh, it's just, it's constantly evolving isn't it Mike? I'm glad that you um, well, thank you for the, the praise, but I'm, I'm glad that you touched upon how people can actually future-proof themselves because that's what I was going to neatly segue into. I mean, essentially, it will be, um, I think, remiss of both yourself and myself. For those people who are listening to this, I wouldn't want to discourage or actually um, make people feel as though they can't make a go of it. I just wanted to get your take on how, you know, or what advice you would give to somebody who's coming up, who's aspiring to thrive in UK MMA media. What would be your parting words of advice to them? 
Yeah, absolutely. This isn't to discourage. We've just been in that that nostalgic mood, thinking about what used to be, and that is in no way, shape, or form supposed to be saying it can't be replicated or it can't even be improved upon. You know, because it can. And I just hope that the the young guns that are, are coming up in the scene. Look, I'll admit I'm not very in touch anymore um, with you know the young the young bloggers, the young journalists. Um, I don't really attend events as much as I, as I used to do. But my advice would be stick at it. Pick a time frame, whether that time frame is one year, two years, five years. Plan it out. Give yourself a goal that you want to be somewhere within your time frame. You want to make it somewhere or achieve something within five years. Because if you're just doing this and you're just going day to day, and you're just writing, or you keep switching websites, or you do different kinds of video content. What is your measurable? How are you measuring success? Because nobody can measure success through finances. Because as you know, everyone can make maybe a quick book, but whose salary, whose like survival, is paid by this? So make a plan, stick to that, and just work hard. And when it gets to that five-year point, and you you have to look back and you, you you have to analyze, did I make it? Did I did I reach the goal that I set myself? If the answer is no, then maybe you you have to look over other things, or maybe re-strategize. But have that plan there, have that goal in the back of your head, have that time frame, because otherwise you will just float and flow. And as good as you are, you may not get that opportunity that you deserve so set yourself goals set yourself time frames and hopefully as well that can push you in the direction you want to to go to develop and succeed amen andreas georgie it's always a pleasure catching up with you wise words from a wise man thanks for coming on the wocast thanks mike pleasure being on and best of luck with the continuation of this brand new amazing workout series. Jimmy the poster boy, you done no. Lions eat first. Cause man ain't come for him, no way. Man ain't come. Geeks holler, man. Cause man ain't bumping him, no way. Jimmy the poster oh, yeah. boy, you done Cause no. man ain't bumping him, or you. Man ain't bumping him, you know them ones. No one ain't listening to you. <laughs> Trust me. Man ain't bumping him, or you. Man ain't bumping him either. Man ain't comfort him. Jimmy Manuel faces Alexander Rakic at UFC Stockholm this Saturday. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Worldcast. Serial guest of the Worldcast, Jimmy Manuel. How you doing, bro? I'm good, thank you. You know what? I, I know this being fight week, you're going to get the usual fight week questions. You know what? You sparked an idea in my mind the last time I spoke to you about the fact that you weren't really too happy with the standard of, um, well, uh, exotic food in Stockholm, right? <laughs> Is that right? Nah, the food's been alright, but um, no, we crave your native food sometimes, which I which I get a lot in in London, but um, there's none over here, so that is what it is. But you see, that's why I wanted to pitch to you in a sort of Dragon's Den style. Basically, my business idea, it's Sweden Suya, and we're going to specialise in goat and exotic meats. Basically, I need you to bankroll it. I've got the business idea, I've got the business acumen, the business brain. Um, 
what do you think of my pitch? Basically, bringing suya to Sweden. So we're going to call it Sweden suya. <laughs> yeah, I'm with that. I'm yeah. With that. I, 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 can I count on your your investment then, Dragon? Yeah, of course, of course. You got, you got me in that. We're going to talk about percentages later. Percentages? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I, I wasn't thinking of it like a percentage kind of uh, deal. Yeah. I, I was thinking about like, like, about the numbers, mate. <laughs> okay, we'll find. The, we'll, 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 the numbers got to add up. We'll crunch the fine details off here, but you obviously got um, fight action this Saturday. Now, I know you probably haven't been catching up with what's been said beforehand, but reading and watching, well, basically what Rakic has been saying ahead of um, your showdown this Saturday. One of the things which is a recurring theme of his interviews is the fact that he used to train with you four years ago at All Stars. Do you remember him from All Stars? Was he someone who stood out? Uh, not stood out because everyone at All Stars is uh, good. So, but I do remember him. Now, do you think it plays to your advantage having sparred with him or does it play to his advantage? Because he seems to think that he can read you. He knows exactly what you're bringing to the table. Now, it's no secret yeah. you're a KO specialist, so you're going to look to keep it standing. But do you think, having sparred with him previously, that it actually improves your chances? No, no. Sparring, sparring, you know, and uh, I can't remember what uh, he was like. And it was like three, it was like three years ago or something. So people change and... Uh, People, you can't you can't take anything from like a couple of sparrings. You know what I mean? Now, when he was actually brought to the table, he's obviously outside the top ten. Is this a, a fight which kind of motivated you? Did you think you know really this is kind of going through the motions? I mean, what were your actual feelings when this was put to you as a possible opponent? Um, I accepted the fight. I never turned down fights. I accepted the fight. And, um, you know, just another opponent to me. I think everyone in the UFC is hard. Not hard, but everyone in the UFC is a good fighter. That's why they're in the UFC. So, um, uh, no one's taking anything for granted. Or And I think... I think um, Rankings don't really come into play. Do you get me? Because I think, especially with light heavyweight as well, I think I think most people can beat most people in the division, and it's just a selected few who are more uh, more inclined to win and uh, and and be at the top level. You know. I hear that. I hear that now. I, know. I think, I think like, outside of the top two or top three, I think anyone can beat anyone on any given night. Mm. I know you're, you're someone who doesn't really suffer trash talk lightly, and I know you're not really into the Twitter fingers. One person who was definitely um, in the run-up to you or just before you being matched was looking, almost hunting you, was Johnny Walker. When you saw that call-out, when you saw the fact that he was gunning for you, did it make you smile? Did you have any feelings at all? 
Pardon? Did you have any feelings at all towards that call out from Johnny Walker? Because he was quite emphatic that he wanted you as his next opponent. No, he calls out everyone. He's called out everyone. And I think he was only calling me because it was the London card next. And he's in my, my, my weight division. So I didn't think anything of it. Now, obviously, a win over um, Rakic this Saturday. Um, do you think that does anything for you? And if so, how long is it, do you think, before you get back into title contention? Because I take it you're still, you're still obviously chasing the title trail, right? Yeah, obviously, yeah. So, so, okay, what does a win actually do for you? Does that keep you steady or does that actually move you up? I know you're not subscribing to the rankings, but in your own mind, what does it actually do for you? Um, a win's a win. I've, had, uh, I've, I've got three losses and that, uh, or, or three hard losses of very hard fights that I've done. And, uh, you know, a, win, a win's a win, isn't it? True. A win's obviously good for me, obviously. Uh, I mean, I mean, just on your current status, obviously, you know, to address the elephant in the room, your three losses on the bounce now. Um, is there a certain extent? I know this is a bit of a cliche question, but I do feel it needs to be asked. Is there a certain sense that one, you're under a little bit of pressure to obviously bring home the win, but two, you're effectively fighting for your place on the roster and to keep your job? It is what it is. It's fighting fighting and uh, it, it is what it is I'm not dwelling on anything keeping my place or anything I know the type of fighter I am and uh, I'm a kill or be killed fighter so I think look at um, uh, what's his name that Elias what's his name Theodore after after one loss yeah you get me I've had three losses I'm still on the roster still in the top 10 and that so yeah, I think the UFC appreciate fighters like me and that who give it all and go out on their shield if they lose. I hear that. I hear that. <clears throat> now, one of the things I wouldn't mind like segueing into, you've got somebody somewhat of a of a young prospect, Nathan Rose, Black Rose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just ex- just explain to me. Um, he seems to be a fighter on the rise. What is it that um, you saw or what you see in Nathan uh, Blackrose or Nathan Rose that made you think, you know what, he's someone definitely worth investing in? It's not about him. I haven't invested in him. uh, When I had my gym lines Friday, he's he's always uh, one of the fighters there. And we just stuck together even after... um, after Lions Pride, after I closed Lions Pride a couple of few years ago, um, we kept training together and we we're, were more training partners. I'm not like looking after him or nothing. I'm just like kind of guiding and helping him where I can. And we train together and that. And, um, you know, that's it. Right, because I, I thought it was interesting, I mean, given his past and the fact that he's turned his life around, I thought it was uh, a case of, you, you tend to have this kind of, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Nurturing mentality when it comes to young up and coming fighters, and particularly those who've been through a rough time and actually, yeah. you know, straight from the path in life. I thought it was on that vibe because I was going to neatly segue into your take on basically what seems to be a, a, a spate of knife crime happening in the, in, the, in the capital. And I just wondered your take on how we could possibly move towards a solution if there was such a thing and what ideas you had to kind of tackle what's effectively becoming almost like an, a violence epidemic. Speak up a bit, sorry. I was just talking about the fact that there tends to be, or there's this perception that there's this violence epidemic in the UK right now, particularly in London. And I just yeah. wondered, you know, the fact that you do nurture fighters, you look after fighters from, you know, for quote-unquote troubled backgrounds. Same, yeah, same background with myself. That's right. I, I thought maybe this was something, a programme that you were getting together. I mean, just talk to me just in terms of what solutions you see moving forward to actually combat knife crime. Um, it's a hard one because I think the kids um, you can't you can't you can't really tell them nothing. And I know, and I've been there to what they've been through and are going through. I know how they, I know how they're feeling. I still feel the same way. And if it's all about money and respect and not backing down and everything and uh, i implement I, I implemented all that into mma and that and but i think i think do you know what i think there will always be wars on the streets i don't think you can cure that there's always been and i think there always will be and that but i think certain of the kids out there are scared to as to what's going on and i think they they um some of them carry knives and stuff because of the fear of of getting of getting stabbed and that, but um, I don't know. I think I think MMA does help. Will help to in uh, giving the kids more focus and and giving them something to focus on. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. It's not something I can. I can answer in like one question, you know. See that I get. Um, I, I do see the possible challenges in actually coming up with solutions because, for my money or from where I'm sat, there isn't a one size fits all or a simple solution. I think you're looking at a suite of things, in my opinion. But it's just interesting your take that. I don't, I don't think anything will will solve it. There's always going to be someone out there there's always going to be problems and you say oh, i'll do mma or whatever there might be, there's going to be some people who are not interested in doing mma and that i think oh fuck that i'm fucking out here in the streets and doing my thing and that there's going to be some people who can't bother to go training and and just want to make money and that you know that that I definitely hear, and you're right. You know, 
it's not something which we're going to solve in, in one conversation, but I was just intrigued and interested on in your take, given where you've come from, given your um, expertise in what's actually going on in the street. But more importantly, I know that you a guy who's not short on ideas, especially the entrepreneurial spirit. Exactly, I'm got. not short of ideas, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not, um, what's the word? I'm not like dreaming sort of thing, you know, and thinking, oh, yeah, I can do this. And yeah, if I say this, it's going to solve it. And it's that and the other, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I, I hear that. I I'm hear a that realist. I hear that definitely. And in terms of your entrepreneurial um, endeavours, have you branched out now or are you still around the same sort of suite of things that you were doing like 18 months ago around the car business and um, the um, supplements as well? Um, around what, sorry? Around the entrepreneurial uh, endeavours that you've got. I know that you were heavily invested in a car company. Yeah, that um, I I closed that down. <laughs> I closed that down. That was giving me too much headache. And you know, I, I, was, I was I was concentrating. It, it was hard to do that and concentrate and concentrate on fighting and stuff. So in the last six months, I've been knuckling down and uh, to, to my training, and then I'm doing more things that I can handle. I'm getting into property, uh, property development, and and then renting and stuff, stuff like that now. And I let that the, the car the car business was good for a while because um, I liked cars and stuff. So I invested my money and stuff into the cars, cars and car rentals and stuff. I think I'll always be involved in cars and that, but um, it was hard. It was hard maintaining stuff and getting flat tires and people crashing them and stuff like that it was more it was more headache than it was worth but i put, I put it down to um i put it down to uh what's the word i'm lost for words today experience yeah i put it down to um experience you know yeah because i have to say it's very rare i speak to so many fighters and none of them are kind of future-proofing their careers like you're doing you're you're diversifying yes you are concentrating on your fighting career but you're also making sure that you know you've got other avenues of income because you know first rule of economics keep the income streams coming in of course i've always been like that and i think i've um it helped me that i started late because i've always i've always been like entrepreneurial kind of kind of person you know i've always been in different businesses and stuff like that so to to, to be able to survive and that and uh i think that's helped me in my career as well because the mma's before you get to the top tier it's not really um not really that lucrative no you're right it's, it's not it's... really that lucrative you know no for, for, for sure yeah. for sure it's With... not it's not all that it seems yeah i mean the, the reason why i was um talking about the future proofing and basically 
looking at um, diversification of income is because obviously there's going to come a time you seem to be enjoying it now the mixed martial arts you're enjoying the fighting but there's going to come a time when you want to bow out of the sport now yeah, of course. At, at the moment you're fast approaching 40 have you got an actual number or is it just a case of look just as long as i'm still enjoying it i'm going to keep my hand in that's it that's it i'm in great shape right now I ain't got no sagging muscles and now I'm in the greatest shape that I've ever been in right now and I'm 39. And I'm smashing all my records on, the, on my hill sprints, on my, I broke my squat records uh, and everything and my body's still holding up and it's still like brand new. So I haven't, I, start, I, start, I started late when I was 28 years old so you know. Because that neatly brings us back to Alexander Rakic. That's one of the things that he said will be his key to victory this Saturday. The fact that, you know, he's coming in as almost the younger lion, as it were. And he's hoping to capitalize. He's not a lion. There's only going to be one lion in the cage. And that's myself. So he can be a tiger or a bear or something like that. He called himself a lion. What's wrong with him? <laughs> but yeah basically I mean you know just to finish the, the actual um, line from him he's talking about the fact that you are 39 and he yeah. feels that you know he's going to be able to capitalise on that and he says what? he feels that he's going to be able to exploit that the fact that you are older yeah I, I, I'm glad he thinks that um, uh, it's, a, it's a fight it's a fight <laughs> It's a fight, and anything can happen. And that's what, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably know me. I'm, I don't mm. talk or nothing like. It's a fight. We're gonna, gonna get in there and have a fucking terror, <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. There's no, there's no talking. I'm gonna do this. Or oh, he's 39. He's got to come and beat me. Do you get me? Yeah. So he's got to go through that meat grinder. If he can. If he can uh, survive the meat grinder, then good, then, then good luck to him. Incredible, incredible. Jimmy, that about wraps up our session, our little chat, our talk. And just, 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 just touching on the uh, uh, the kids and the nice time and stuff and everything, yeah? Yeah. It's like to say, me, I, I started watching UFC when I was 26 years old. It captured me. It, it captured me, and intrigued me. Everything being a tough kid from the from the hood, and that yeah. Mm. I decided at 28 years old, I'm gonna fight for the UFC. I just I said that. I, I didn't say I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Fight MMA. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna train MMA. I said to myself, I'm going to fight for the UFC when I was 28. Before I started training, yeah. yeah, I got up and I started training. I had my first professional fight after two weeks. Yeah, and mm. never looked back. Within when was it? <laughs> Three, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Within no, within two years. The UFC approached me and offered me a contract. I knew I wasn't ready. After three years, they offered me another contract. 
no, no. On the second, on the second time they they asked me for, um, to fight for them, I accepted. That was in 2012. After four years of deciding that I was going to fight for the UFC, and I haven't looked back since. So, to all them kids out there doing the spats, uh, stabbing, and and, and and seeing they're tough and everything, prove it to the world. Wow. That's my closing uh, statement. And on that note, Jimmy, best of luck this Saturday. I feel, me being a betting man, that you won't need that luck. But I'm looking forward to seeing you back to your KO ways this Saturday against Alexander Rakic. Thanks very much. That wraps up this week's episode of The Wocast. If you have any comments, if you've got any burning desire to discuss any of the issues that we covered in today's show, you can catch me on Twitter, which is MikeWoTV. Otherwise, in the meantime, until next week, make some trouble.